Well, good morning again. So I warned you guys last week, and I've been warning for a few weeks, that you're in the midst of the Step on Your Toes sermon series. So uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and in Ephesians, God is striving to get His people to live in such a way that it shows the power, the love, the awesome things that He has done for His people. And so the whole point of the book is in the early part is, is Paul is reminding us of where we've been and where we were as we were sinners who had fallen away from the Lord and because of that sin, the only future we had awaiting us was death. But God in His unbelievable love and power sent His Son who died on that cross, offered us forgiveness, and not only does He give us forgiveness, but He allows us to be lifted up into heaven to be co-heirs with Christ, to sit on thrones like family members of God's family. And so early on, Paul's trying to get his people to really soak that in. You were lost, you were facing death, you were saved, and now you're royalty in heaven. And he really lays it on thick to think about this. And the reason is, is he wants his people to realize, if that is true, if you truly believe that, if that's truly what has happened, then guys, it should show up in your lives. The way you live, the things you do, the way you talk, the way you live, the relationships you have should be unbelievably different from everybody else who doesn't have that in their life. It's through the last chapters of Ephesians, he starts really getting personal. He starts talking about sexual morality. He starts talking about marriages. He starts talking about raising your children. And the point that he gets is, is these are the examples through which you show the outer world, I serve Christ. And it is His glory. It is His power. It is His awesomeness that has made these relationships and these behaviors in my life what they are. Amen. It's not me. It's Him. And so as we get into this, there's a couple things I want you to keep at the front of your mind, kind of the keys to the series. These are the things that give you the proper perspective to listen to everything that God's Word has to say. The first is in John 15.5. In John 15.5, Jesus gives us this beautiful analogy of how our relationship with Him is supposed to work. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the point? The point is, God's standards and God's ideals are impossible for man. Listen to that. God's standards and God's ideals by himself are impossible for man. They're not hard. They're not difficult. They're impossible. So how do we achieve them? We achieve them not by going to our own resources for power, strength, and love. We achieve them by allowing Christ to be our vine. It is Him that is the source of power. It is Him that is the source of love. It is Him that is the source of forgiveness. It is Him that is pouring all of that godly resource into our feeble bodies. And so when we do these things, no one goes, wow, Luke's amazing. Oh my gosh, John's an incredible guy. They go, your God is awesome. Your God is awesome. Kind of reminds me, like, have you ever seen a young child who is well-behaved, educated, and smart? Well, well, the world will go, hey, that kid's cool. Most of us initially, what's our second thought? 
Those parents have done a good job. Those parents have done a good job. It's the same way it should be for us as adults. People should look at us and go, man, your God is awesome. Your God has done a good job shaping you. The second thing that we've been focusing on throughout this series is this analogy I've been using of what kind of church are we? And I've been pointing you guys to two gyms that are in America. One is Planet Fitness. Any members of Planet Fitness? A couple? Planet Fitness is very clear. They want a full gym of people who feel completely comfortable working out. They have free pizza on Mondays. They have free candy at the door. There's no judging. There's no coaching. There's no grunting. There's no bodybuilding. There's no... In fact, if you're too fit, they will actually ask you to leave. Because you make all the unfit people feel bad about themselves. Then on the other end, you have this gym called Jim Jones. And these guys are psychos. On their website, they're like, we perfect the art of suffering. Joining our gym is signing up for suffering. If that sounds good to you, you're in the right place. And at that gym, you can only actually work out at their facilities by invitation. And they will kick you out, not for not paying your bills, but if after time they look at you and go, you don't look like you work out. You're giving us a bad day. Please leave. The point between these two is both of them call themselves gyms. One of them actually cares about people changing. One of them actually expects their people to look different. And one of them, if you don't, they'll tell you goodbye. The other could care less if you change. The other simply cares that you show up, that you're present. And why I think this is such a powerful analogy is I think this is where the church in America sits today. Are we churches that just care about attendance? Do we really not care what happens in your lives as long as we have full seats? As long as we're able to build great facilities? As long as we're able to bring in lots of money? As long as we're able to have a coffee shop and a bookstore and all these amazing cool things? Or do we sit here and go, no. You walk in these doors and you learn to change. You walk in these doors and we expect that you're in a relationship with God that reshapes who you are. It doesn't just change your heart. It rebuilds you from the top down. We have a church where if you're on the wrong path, someone's going to talk to you. We have a church where we have expectations that we live and behave in a certain way. Now, this isn't to say that we're a perfect church. Lord knows if you've been here more than a couple weeks, you know we're not a perfect church. This is a room full of messed up people. Alright, and I love you all. I love you all, but we are mess ups. Every single one of us in here. The closest thing I've ever seen to this church is an AA meeting. And here's what I love about AA meetings. At the beginning of an AA meeting, you may have a guy who's sitting there, runs a business, has a wonderful family, and has been sober for 45 years. You know how he starts off? My name's Dan, and I'm an addict. Why? Because what he knows is even though he hasn't slept every single day of his life, he has to fight that addiction. Every single day of his life, he is just one decision away from slipping up, falling back, and making mistakes. And he knows it's that group of people and his faith in God that keep him on the straight and narrow. The same thing here. It's not a room of awesome people. This is a room full of addicts to sin who all of us have gone astray, done dumb things, done stupid things, have ran from God, but we are coming back here today to go, I know i got a problem. 
And I'm here to go, God, I need you, and God, I'm going to follow you. And this room is a group of accountability partners going, we're going to help you on that path. And it's not because I'm better than you. It's because I've been where you've been. So when I see you making the mistake I've been making, I'm going to help you. That's the church God wants to see. And so to be honest, I care less about the number of people in this room as I do that the people in this room are actually folks moving forward. They're moving forward. Now that's a key thing. Moving forward. What that means is, is I don't care if you're a superstar. It means that you're better today than you were yesterday. It means that you're more knowledgeable this week than you were last week. It means next week you will be even closer to God than you were today. Now to be honest, you may still be a long way from Him. There still might be a ton of behavior that needs to change. There might be still a million things that have to be fixed. But the point is, you're moving. You're moving. You're moving. What we don't want to see is that you just stand pat. And frankly, as a pastor, you know what I see a lot? I see a lot of people who early in their lives moved great distance to get close to God, and then they got satisfied. They went, this is good. I'm better than most people. I go to church more than most people. I tithe more than most people. I serve more than most people. You know what? I'm better than most of these folks. I'm good. I'm going to stand pat. And for the next 45 years, they don't move. And where they're foolish is, is there might be some guy who just has been so hit with sin their whole life. They're all the way back here. But every week, they just keep moving. You know, God is more pleased with that child than He is with the one who hasn't moved in 45 years. Because here's what God says to us. You can't earn heaven. None of us will ever show up at the gates of heaven, show our resume, and Him go, man, impressive, you're in. What gets you into heaven is that when you show up and Jesus greets you at the gate, He goes, man, good to see you. Come on in. My child, my servant who has walked with me day in and day out. That's what gets you in. Is that you have a relationship with Him. Not that you've done amazing things. And so brothers and sisters, what I want you to think about in your relationship with God is are you truly progressing? Are you truly getting better? Are you truly getting closer to His love, to His knowledge, to His voice, to His presence? Because if you're not, something's wrong. And so as we've talked about these things, both sex and now today, parenting or marriage, God's window on this is your marriage is the example that you have to show the world how great He is. It's not to show how awesome a husband and wife you are. It's not to show that, hey, you're an amazing spouse. It is solely for the purpose of you showing people we have a great God. And what He wants to hit you with is when your marriage doesn't show that, it also is a bad testimony to who He is. So keep those two things in mind. One, what we will talk about today is impossible in and of yourself. And two, the point is, is that you are progressing in these relationships closer and closer to the ideal that God has laid out. The problem for many of us is, is we've gone, that ideal is so hard, forget it. Not even going to pursue it anymore. It's not what God wants. All right, open up your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. 
33. While you're flipping there, I'm going to say a little prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and I ask that it is your word and your truth that is spoken today. Father, I pray that it is your truth that pierces our hearts, that pierces our minds. That, Father, you will find in this room open ears and open hearts. Father, we know that you speak to us. We know that this is your living word. And we ask, Father, that you show it how it can impact our lives. We trust in you, Father, to empower us to live it out. We're so thankful that you've given it to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, we could just stop right there and probably talk for three weeks. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Alright? So, it starts with the wives, and it says, what do you need to do? Submit. Man, that is a loaded word in our culture. In American culture, submission is viewed as completely ugly, completely weak, completely negative, and completely worthless. In fact, many men will raise their children and go, you will never submit. Never. We never submit. Ever. You die on that field. God goes, no, I want you to choose to submit. So when we talk about submission, what God is saying here is God is not saying that two forces meet each other. One is so overpowerful, so overbearing that it makes the other force give up. When he talks about submission, what he's saying is, is that out of obedience and love, one person decides, I will let you lead. Now the problem that we have with this is in the culture that we live in, we believe that submission should come from power and credentials. So what we want to do, and often do in our relationships, is go, okay, well, okay, I know the Bible says wives submit to your husband. Pastor, have you met my husband? Have you met the man? Okay, he's incapable of doing his own laundry. He's incapable of feeding himself. He's incapable of most tasks that 10-year-olds can do on a regular basis. Have you met this man and you want me to submit to him? And see, right there we've lost. Right there we've lost because what we're trying to do is we're trying to make this a conditional submission. We're trying to say that this is about God thinks one person's better than the other. And so a lot of people read this and they go, this is a chauvinistic God. God has just outlined and said, all men are better than women. And then what we tend to do is get into the use cases where people go, let me name a bunch of women who are way better than men. That's really not that hard to do. God's not saying men are better than women. He says they're different. He says they're different. And because they're different, He is asking them to play different roles. And the submission that the wife shows is not just a submission to the husband, it's actually a submission to God. Because the reason she submits is not because she looks at her husband and goes, he's a genius, he's brilliant, he's better than me at everything. She submits because she goes, my father created me in this role. And my father in heaven who is perfect who is without flaw and who has loved me better than anyone has ever loved me, has asked me to do this. I submit for him. Now notice there's a bunch missing here, especially for Americans. 
right? I mean, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the other thing that we don't like is, man, he sets up like the high example, right? Like in case you just wanted to like redefine what submission meant, he goes, submit to your husband as to the Lord. I want you to treat him with the same kind of respect you would treat me. So not only is he asking for submission, he's asking for the ultimate kind of submission. Now what Americans would love to see is, if it says something like this, Wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord if your husband's smart, if your husband's kind, if he does the laundry, if he does the dishes, if he's good with the children, if he takes you out on dates, if he buys you jewelry, if he's a good and kind person. But there's no ifs here. Do you notice that? None. What we don't like about God's way of doing things is God doesn't like contracts. God likes covenants. Contracts are where we exchange goods or services because it's mutually beneficial. And if you break your conditions, I can get out of mine. Which is why we have so many lawyers in America. Right? You break your contract and what do you do? Lawyer, is there anything here that could show I had reason to not follow through on my commitment? Now I want you to think for a second how disastrous marriage would be is if it was conditional. Can you imagine all the times you mess up as a spouse? Let's be real. Think of all the numbers of times that as a spouse you are self-centered and make decisions only focused on yourself. Think of the number of times that you have hurt your spouse, ignored your spouse, or belittled your spouse, even sometimes by accident. Like, man, have you ever done that? Have you ever been in an argument and you say something, and once the word comes off your lips, you realize it was too loaded, and now the argument's going to be something else? Typically, it would be a word like, you're just like your mother. Once you've said that, whatever the prior argument was, that no longer matters. That will no longer be what you're talking about for the rest of the evening. You'll now be talking about that. And so with conditional relationships, the problem becomes is there's always a way to find why you shouldn't do what you should do. And you hear this a lot. Or why don't you respect your husband? Have you seen my husband? He's an idiot. Have you seen him not respect me? He did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, and he did this. So until he cleans those up, I'm not showing him respect. Husbands, love your wife. Sacrifice for them. Well, no. Have you seen her? She doesn't respect me at all. My goodness, I get more respect at work from strangers than I do from my own wife. And all of a sudden, it becomes this game of let me pick at you and you pick at me and we'll build up our excuses for why we don't have to treat each other good. God goes, I don't want contracts, I want covenants. You sign up to be a wife, you sign up to be submissive to your husband, as to the Lord, without condition. It's a hard bar. It's high. That's why a lot of times when I'm counseling people who want to get married, I'm like, do you really understand what you're signing up for? See, in our culture, we've just turned it into the next phase of dating. Our culture is like, oh, we hang out enough, we should date. We date long enough, we should have sex. We have sex long enough, we should move in together. We move in long enough, maybe we should have kids. We've had kids, you know, we might as well just make it official and get married. 
We just have this continual progression of escalation, and what we have continually is off-ramps. At any point in that, if we want to get off, we just get off. Redo. That's not how the way God pictured it. God pictured it, your friends, and then you get married. And the world changes. Completely and utterly. The relationship is completely different than what it was before. And from that point forward, you're committed not just to the spouse, you're committed to God. It's a huge difference to think of. And the reason this is powerful is, is what it starts to do is it starts to make it so that in your relationship, you're not thinking about the reasons you shouldn't do your job. You're just thinking about, how do I do my job? How do I show love? How do I be submissive? How do I show respect? How do I do what God has asked me to do? Because this commitment is to Him, not just to my spouse. I submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. So now you start to get some greater depth. Why does marriage matter so much to God? It is a relationship He has given mankind that actually reflects His own relationship with the church. Do you understand that? Let me repeat that. If you zoned out for a second, pull back. Your marriage is God's example of His relationship to the church. And so what He says is, guys, your marriage is just a metaphor. The husband's role is Jesus' role. The wife's role is the church's role. And so just as the church submits to Jesus and Jesus sacrifices for the church, that's how husbands and wives should work. Your marriage should actually be a living example of how the gospel has created this beautiful relationship between the church and Jesus. Now let's be real, most of us don't think about that. Most of us are like, you're cute, I like you, I think I could handle you for a while, you want to get married? We did not sit there and go, man, let's enter into a living example of God's sacrificial, unconditional love for the church. Let's do that. Most of you didn't think like that. That's what Jesus sees it as. And that's why it's a big deal to him. And he goes, guys, understand this. If you think you get frustrated with your spouse, do you think I ever get frustrated with you? Jesus is like, trust me, I understand frustrating relationships. Jesus is like, I understand doing things for people and them forgetting it, ignoring it, and taking it for granted. Jesus gets that. But thank God, he never goes, you know what, uh, church, you guys broke your contract with me. So, yeah, I'm not going to be your savior anymore. All that love, grace, and forgiveness I offered, it's voided because you broke your contract. Can you imagine living in that kind of world? Can you imagine having that kind of stress that at any moment, if you mess up, he could just revoke the whole thing? It'd be terrifying. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, guys, again, I, I can't stress this point enough. This is not about men being better than women. It just means they're different. Even in our household. If you would ask, me and Nicole worked together at USAA for, I don't know, 10 years. Her career was here, my career was here. 
most ways that you could evaluate us, she would be evaluated as the better leader. She would have been evaluated as the more educated individual. She would have been educated or listed to everybody as one of those people to watch. Me, eh, kind of, maybe, depending on the person you asked. But we didn't sit down when we got married and go, well, honey, your resume is better than mine. So even though God has said that you should submit to me because your resume is so impressive, I'm going to submit to you because you're better than me. Didn't do that. We go, God the Father has asked us to be the model. We serve God the Father and we will serve the model that He has asked us to serve. It's a hard thing for us to understand. It's a hard thing, but this is why the submission God points to is so beautiful. See, forceful submission is ugly. Because basically what it is is somebody pounding you and pounding you and pounding you until you give up. That's never pretty to watch. Loving submission is awesome though. Because often in loving submission what you watch is somebody who is powerful, intelligent, and amazing go, I choose to follow you. I choose to walk behind you. And you go, why would anybody do that? Love. That's why. Love. They don't do it because they have to. They do it because they want to. They do it because it brings them joy. And so when we read submission in the Bible, what we often miss is we've turned submission into MMA submission. You submit because you got pounded into the mat. God goes, that was never the submission I imagined. I imagined powerful, strong, and loving people going, I choose to submit to you because I care about you. And the reason he views it that way is the same way our relationship with him is the way it is. Brothers and sisters, if God wanted you to obey his rules, he could make you. Like you realize you versus God in a fight isn't a fight. He could literally say a word, you don't exist. So if God was all about following the rules, he'd beat you into submission. He's never been about that. What he's been about is, children, this is who I am. This is how I love. This is what's important to me. And if you want to follow me, you can. I won't make you, though. I won't make you. He has all the power in the world, but he never makes any of us choose to follow him. It's the same path he's lying out for the wife. You don't have to follow your husband. You choose to because you want to. Now, it's important that we don't stop here. And I'm going to call this out because I've seen a lot of Southern Baptist men over their lives just memorize this first portion here and make sure to bring it up on a regular basis to their wives. Honey, pastor said you need to submit to me like the Lord. Alright, wives submit. That's what you do. I'll be honest, if I had to pick which set of obligations I would take for the easier road, I would take the wives. And here's why. In the analogy of who's the church and who's Christ, the wife is the church, the man is Christ. Now what's beautiful is the church messes up a lot. We have that documented throughout history. Christ is perfect. Being held to the perfect, flawless, unbelievable, un, I mean, just awesome being that is Christ and go, men be like that. Okay, I think I'm going to fail at that. 
But he flips it. So he goes, wives, submit to your husbands. And look what he says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Do you get that? Do you get that? Love your wives like Jesus loved the church. That's a high bar. Jesus knowingly came to earth, allowed himself to be mocked, to be tortured, to be beaten, to be killed for his church. A church that most of the time while he was doing that thing was ridiculing and mocking him themselves. Most of the church was not grateful at all for what Jesus was doing in the moment. In fact, his closest followers did what? They bailed. In the darkest moment, the disciples turn tail and run. The only one who sticks around denies he even knows them. And Jesus still goes, I love them. They're mine. I'll die for them. So a lot of people get caught up on, hey, wife, submit. I get caught up on husbands. Love your church. I love your wife. Like Jesus loves the church. And think about that for a second. Think of the life Christ could have had had he been self-centered. Perfect. Never makes a mistake. Never does something wrong. Has unlimited knowledge, unlimited power. Does anything he wants perfectly. He could have lived a better life than any human being ever. Instead, he took all of that power and what did he do? Used every single ounce of it to either love his Father or to love us people. All of it. See, the beauty of submitting to someone like Christ is is that all he's ever going to do with what you give him is give it right back. Frankly, I I mean, I know marriage is a two-way street, but I'll be real. Every time I've had a child, I've been much more scared about having a girl than having a boy. And the reason is, I don't know a lot of godly men. I just don't. I do not know a lot of good godly men. I don't know a lot of men that... And I'm not asking for them to be intelligent or brilliant or great speakers or Just good godly men who will go, I will sacrifice for my wife and my children. I will live a life that's not about me. I will live a life that's about others. Just don't see that a lot. This is what Christ, or God is describing for this relationship of marriage. You have one spouse who in unbelievable love and humility submits to the other, and that one that's being submitted to takes all of his time, energy, and focus to sacrifice back for the family. Men, how many of you, when you get home from work, don't raise your hands on this? Think that you're off. How many when you get home from work go, I'm done. I did my duty. Now I'm going to veg out in front of the TV, keep the kids quiet. Where's my dinner? I'm not doing any chores. Folks, your real job is when you get home. Because guess what? The stuff you work on at work doesn't matter. Shoot, in five weeks, people will probably forget what you do tomorrow. But 
what won't be forgotten is the relationships you pour yourself in to the young children that you raise up, to the wife that you have, and to that love that's poured into those things. Your work is to do this. And just like with the woman, notice, with the man, there's no conditions here. There's no sacrifice for if she loves you. Sacrifice for if she respects you. Sacrifice for you if she's beautiful. Sacrifice for you if she's funny. No, if she's your wife, sacrifice for her. That's what he says. That's it. Look at verse 29 or 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What's he saying? Husbands, you should be the one that props your wife up to be the most beautiful thing in the world. Christ's desire is that when anybody ever looks at the church, they don't see our blemishes. They don't see the dirt on us. They don't see the ugliness of us. Christ positions us and works to put us in a spot that when people see us, they go, that is a beautiful church. That is a beautiful church. Do you do that for your wife? Do you lift her up? Do you position her to realize that to you, she's the most beautiful thing? Because of who she is, because of how she loves you, because she's chosen to submit to you, because she is that partner that is with you day in and day out. Do you put her in that spot? A lot of us don't. In fact, American culture has taught us earn it. Earn it. I'll do that when you deserve it. Guys, if you're ever waiting for us to deserve these things, it'll never happen. No human man deserves to be treated like Jesus. And no human woman deserves to be treated like the church. You can't earn it. It's simply something we choose to give. Why? Because perfect, almighty God who shaped us and built us has asked us to. Your marriage isn't just between you and your spouse. It's between you, your spouse, and God. And it's an example of who He is and how He wants this to work. Now, I want you to think for a second. How many of you would be willing to put your marriage forth and go, yeah, I would let people look at this and go, this is an example of how Christ loves the church. How many of you could say, you know what, there would be flaws, but I think if people looked at this, they would go, you know what, as a wife, I submit to my husband, and I show him respect, and, and as a husband, I think people would say, he doesn't live for himself. He's constantly sacrificing for his family. How many of you would feel comfortable to like let people see that and let them go, that I, yep, that's what I see? That's God's expectation. God's expectation is that for every married couple in here, people who know you and watch you live, that they'd be able to look at this and go, yeah, I see that. I see that. In fact, how you often know if you're doing this is that your friends will be coming to you, go, talk to me, man. How do you guys have what you have? Because we don't have that. I don't know why we don't have that. I wish we did, but we don't. And your job there is not to go, well, I'm just great. Your job is to go, because God has shown me how to do this. Amen. The reason I can so selflessly love my wife and children is because every day He so selflessly loves me. Amen. 
And Elisha goes, the reason I can submit to this man is not because he's perfect, but because my God has submitted so often to me. My God has so often served me. My God has so often taken care of me when I didn't deserve it. And so because of that example, I can live that out day in and day out. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. Now, this is going to step on a bunch of your toes. God doesn't really believe in divorce. He hates it. Why? Because what he views in marriage is not two people signed a contract. What he views in marriage is two different individuals have now become one. And they were not unified by man, they were unified by God. And what God goes is, what I put together, no man shall separate. For you to think you can take what I have made one and that you can break it apart shows you don't have a proper perspective on all this. In Scripture, and I'll be honest, I wish there were more. There are only two reasons ever given for justifying divorce. One is sexual infidelity. The second is in the case of an unbeliever pushing a believer away. So if they abandon you or they go, you know what, I, you became a Christian and I just don't want to be around a Christian. I can't, I can't handle you being a Christian. You need to leave. That's it. So either sexual infidelity, they abandon you, or because of your faith, they tell you to leave. That's it. And even in those cases, God's going, I still want you to understand, like, I hate this. The reason I share that is I've actually seen people who are almost like waiting for their spouse to slip up. Have you ever seen the one where like, I've seen this with righteous Christians who are focused on their behavior. Their husband has an affair, immediately they dump them, they divorce them, and like six weeks later they're with somebody else. You're like, that was not how that should have gone. You may have had biblical justification to separate and divorce, but clearly your heart and your mind have been somewhere else for a matter of time. Now the reason I said I wish there was more is there's areas as a pastor I struggle with. I really wish there was a pastor that said if a husband beats his wife, the wife can divorce him. Now listen to me. Please listen to me. I am not saying that a wife should stay with a husband who beats her. She should absolutely separate, she should absolutely leave, and she should absolutely take care of her safety and her children's safety. But what I also can't do is I can't point to a single passage that says she should divorce him. It's a gray area. I wish it wasn't gray. I wish there was a whole section where we could have sat down as pastors and said, Jesus, okay, let me give you some scenarios. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? There's nothing in there about what if he's not abusive, but he's a drug addict. I don't know. I don't know. I'd say similarly, the wife should separate or the husband should separate. They should find safety and comfort. But here's the thing. God's whole focus is once you're married, 
you're married. In fact, so much so that he says, if you marry someone who's been divorced for any other reason than that as a Christian, you commit adultery. Because you're basically sleeping with somebody else's spouse. Again, this is why I say, high bar. Impossible for man. It's only possible with God. But please, 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 don't lose sight of the bar. God is comfortable with all of us chasing after this and at times failing. If when we fail, we stand up and we go, I messed up. I ask for your forgiveness and I ask you to help me get back. What he's not comfortable with is with an entire group of Christians who want to go, I'm your servant, I follow you, God, but on this, you're wrong. On this, I'm not listening to you. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Basically what a lot of us are saying these days. A lot of us basically with the last few things we've talked about go, God, sex, you're outdated. Sex is just a thing, man. going to have sex with whoever I want with, whenever I want, and you're just going to have to deal with it. That's just the way we work. And hey, marriage, I'll get married if I want to. I won't if I don't want to. And you know what? If I want to get out for any other reason, I will. Deal with it. That's how it works. You are free to say that to him. But don't be surprised when you say those things that it hurts your relationship with him. And for all of you that aren't married, you better listen to these words. You better understand what you're getting into. Because you're not just making a covenant with a person, you're making a covenant with Him. I know there's a lot of you in here who are probably divorced. I know there's probably some of you who are sitting there that you go, my divorce would not stand up to biblical standards. The beauty of our God is He is a forgiving God. If you can make the relationship right, that should be your focus. If you can restore the relationship, if you can get forgiveness, if you can show the kind of love that He pointed to, that should be your focus. If you can't, then you humbly fall before your Lord and go, I messed up. And I ask for your forgiveness. And you know what you do next? You go out and you help others not make the mistake you made. You help others stay on that right path. Brothers of you, you're in a marriage right now. It is not right. For some of you, like this is a painful sermon. Because everything you talked about is everything that's not happening at our house. Brothers and sisters, if that's the case, stop ignoring it. If that's the case, go home and you throw your list of reasons why you aren't loving your spouse the way that God described away. And what you focus on is fulfilling your role. If you're the husband, you focus on, I will love my wife as Christ loved the church. And not because she deserves it, but because God has asked me to. And if you're a wife, you go home and you throw out the reasons why you shouldn't submit to your husband. And you go, I will, because God has asked me to. Brothers and sisters, the beauty of this is when you submit to Him, He becomes that vine. And all of a sudden, it is His love, it is His mercy, it is His forgiveness, it is His power that starts to flow through your relationship. 
the reason most of you have failed at your marriages is that you have counted on what you have. You've counted on your love. You've counted on your power. You've counted on your wisdom. And what you found is it's lacking. So stop relying on it. Rely on His. Brothers and sisters, the awesome part of this is that one, when you live a marriage like this, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's great. I love being with my wife. I love that I can share the stupidest things in the world with her, and I love that I can have the deepest conversations with her. I love that she knows on a Saturday if I take a left turn at around 11.30 on Gom Road, that, me- that means we're going to go get Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. Because she's in my head. She knows me that well. So, in fact, sometimes we're like, I don't even know that we're going to have conversations at 70. I think we'll just be like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. I think this is going to happen. I love that I can look at my children and see her and myself in them. I love that just if you can put me in a place with her and them, I don't care where you put me. It's awesome. I'm with them. I love that I know even when I'm an idiot, even when I make a bad mistake, even when I screw up, the first thing that's not going to happen is her going, told you so. Well, that was dumb. It's going to be her going, we'll get through this. Figure it out. Figure it out. It's a beautiful and awesome and wonderful thing. And so what we often miss is is we go, I want to tell God what marriage is. You can do that, but guess what? You won't get the blessings that He describes. And while His road is tough, God, when you do it, the blessings just pour forth from a way you can't explain. Brothers and sisters, you have an opportunity in your marriages to reflect God's love. You have the opportunity to show people what the church and Jesus' relationship should look like. Go do that. Go do that. Stop waiting. Stop blaming. Stop looking for reasons not to. Just go do it. You'll notice it doesn't say anything about, hey, never get in a fight. Never have a disagreement. Always remember birthdays. Always remember... It doesn't say any of those things. It just says, submit in love. Submit in love. That's it. Do those things. One last thing. If you're not married, two words of advice to you. One, understand what it is to God. And before you jump into it, you do not make that decision just because you're attracted to somebody. You make that decision because you read that and you go, that's what I want. Read that and realize that one day you may be sitting there with someone who's a drug addict and go, I'm going to stay. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to help them. And I'm going to help them fight through that. Why? Because that's what I signed up for. Realize that one day you may be sitting there with someone who's terminally ill, going through hell, and it is not up to you to go, "Uh, I can have fun elsewhere. It's you going, I'm going to ride this with you. Because that's what we do. The reality is you will never understand the day you get married exactly what you signed up for. 
that's why you have to understand what God has said and realize it is a commitment with Him. Second, don't cheat. Let me clarify. Don't cheat on your spouse. I also mean that. But I also mean don't cheat on the relationship. I have seen so many people try to piecemeal a marriage together with three or four people. I'll get my physical stuff from you. I'll get my friendship from you. I'll get my spiritual support from you. One, it will never add up. And two, all you're really asking for is a path filled with devastated hearts. That's all you're asking for. I'll finish by reminding you of two things. One, impossible without God. The standard is impossible without God. So don't go to Him just when you fail. Go to Him every single day. And you ask Him to pour into you. Second, make progress. Baby steps. Baby steps. God does not care if you are at the perfect place today. What He cares is that tonight you'll be further along than you were this morning. That next week you'll be further along than you were today. And that's how you focus. Day by day by day by day. Don't get caught up on the end goal. Get caught up on movement and progression. With the breath in your lungs today, make a commitment to be a better spouse, a better wife. Alright, I'm going to ask you guys to just take a few moments where you're at. And I want you to go to the Lord and I want you to talk to Him about this. If you're a spouse, you should be praying that God helps you become the spouse you described. If you're not a spouse, you should be praying that in your relationship with God, that you submit to Him the way He is described. Let's quietly take a few moments while this rain gives us some great white noise. And let's go to our Lord in prayer.